Live from New York City, it's the Gary Null Show. And now, your host, Gary Null. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Null. Nice to have you with us. We have a lot to share. We're going to talk about the in-depth benefit of celery, something people just take for granted. Well, you shouldn't, because it's a real healing item. Also, if you remember, I talked about why the apple peel was the most important part of an apple. Well, some new research just came out from University of Iowa that talks about apple peel promotes a particular benefit. Study shows a high prevalence of severity of childhood food allergy in the U.S. and low-calorie diet can reverse diabetes. Also, microbiologists discover how cavity-causing bacteria in your mouth can invade your heart, and a lot more on health and healing. Then, I'm going to do a more in-depth look on two public health issues. One is debunking the myths of the DTP vaccine. This is from the research of uh, Christina England from VacTruth. And this is because we now have a major, major breakthrough. Three months of being on the road, interviewing people, seeing things, experiencing things, that unless you're there, you don't have that context. Give us a call if you think you know what's coming at you. 888-874-4888. I'll take your call a little later on the program. People woke up in Napa Valley today to a six-point earthquake. Homes destroyed, fires. Uh, some people will be without food now for weeks unless they go to a Red Cross Center. Remember I told you, when you think it can happen, you're an idyllic environment. That's the new norm. Let's begin. We have a lot to share. We always start with health and nutrition because everyone needs to be healthier. There's something important about celery, and it's probably the least exciting food out there. You don't think of celery. You think of watercress and kale, kale chips. Celery's kind of like the big bland but it shouldn't be, because the best research out there shows that it's rich in vitamin C and flavonoids. It has a lot of specific antioxidants, and uh, including what is called lunularin, uh, which is very powerful inside the body. It has its own unique phenolic compounds that you can't find elsewhere, and these help your damaged cells. These help your blood vessels. These help your organs. You also have one of the best uh, ways of eliminating excess water, especially edema, in the body and protecting the cells. I prefer it raw. That's the best way of eating it and juicing it. And juicing is the best way of getting into your body. You're getting in an awful lot of antioxidants which trap free radicals. You're also getting vitamin K. And uh, low, low calories, only 16 calories per serving. Folate, potassium, fiber, manganese, and uh, flavanones, flavanols, and uh, phytosterols. 
So for women in particular, it's extremely good because it has quercetin. It also has caffeic acid and cinematic acid and uh, furloic acid, all of which important to help prevent cancer, especially cancer of the breast. For example, in one study, animal study, they found that the phytonutrients decrease the risk of oxidative damage inside the blood vessel walls. Well, when your blood vessels are damaged, that's how you end up with atherosclerosis. So this is one way by using celery, and I think the best way of having celery is having apple, celery, and cucumber with lemon. And you're, you're getting a lot of anti-inflammatory activity to turn off the cytokines, which are pro-inflammatory. So if you have arthritis, diabetes, cancer, you have a lot of uh, inflammation. Drinking celery juice, which I have all the people I counsel who have cancer, drink it three to four times a day, turns off the pain. It will affect interleukin-8. It'll affect nuclear factor kappa B. So it's just terrific for people with cancer, for people overweight. It's good for your digestion. And that's because celery contains pectin-based polysaccharides. And that is very good for your digestion. And it's, it's very good if you have gastrointestinal disturbance. If you have the itis, ileitis, colitis, diverticulitis, Crohn's disease, it's very good. It also supports your heart. It has strong cardiovascular support. And so I would definitely use it there because it can turn off inflammation in your blood vessels and in your blood and in the heart itself. And uh, there's a particular category of phytonutrients in celery that are specific for your heart. And these are phenolic substances and uh, thiolids, which are... Um, they're unique in the vegetable kingdom, but they're really concentrated in celery. And they help the this, this smooth muscles to relax. And they allow a greater flow of calcium and potassium inside the cells in your nervous system. So they help your nervous system, help your heart, they're a natural diuretic. So all in all, celery is simply one of nature's really good foods. Now I mentioned that I always have a juice with apple and celery. But I go one step further. You could take five or six apples, peel them, use the peels in a blender. You're not going to get any juice out of it. You can use the bulk of the apple as an apple sauce, which is very good for you, by the way. Apple sauce with cinnamon and anise is great if you have parasites or gastrointestinal problems or inflammation in the stomach. If you have stomach problems, apple sauce with with those two nutrients. And uh, and you can crush the anise into a powder. We can get an anise powder. And the cinnamon should be like a quarter of a teaspoon. And there's good cinnamon, then there's great cinnamon. And your Vietnamese cinnamon is one of your best cinnamons. And the Indian cinnamon is also has a higher content of orac. But if you just took the apples and you peeled them, four or five, and you throw it into a blender, you're getting a phenomenal amount of healing because it can promote muscle growth. Now, who needs muscle growth? Well, kids do. 
athletes do. Virtually everyone over the age of 40 does because you're starting to diminish your human growth hormone. And that stimulates muscle growth. So if you had a smoothie within 20 minutes after a workout and you had apple skins in there and you have your protein powder, especially with the branched-chain amino acids, you're going to build muscle burn fat. Now keep in mind, fat weighs almost two and a half times what muscle does. Excuse me, um, muscle weighs two and a half times what fat does. So don't look at a scale and say, oh, I've only lost five pounds. No, you've lost 12 pounds because you're not looking at the conversion of that tissue into muscle where it was fat. Here's the latest research, University of Iowa. They discovered something brand new. It's a waxy substance known as ursolic acid found in the apple peel. And it reduces muscle atrophy and promotes muscle growth. That's very important. Quote from Christopher Adams, endocrinologist and senior author of the study. Muscle atrophy causes big problems. It's also very common. It affects most people at some point in their lives during illness or aging. But there's no medicine for it. We studied muscle gene activity in people with atrophy and used that information to find chemicals that might block atrophy. And this ursolic acid from the apple peel did it. And it also helps two hormones that build muscle, insulin-like growth factor, IGF-1, and insulin. And uh, because ursolic acid increased muscle, it reduced muscle atrophy. So, and this was published in the peer-reviewed journal Cell Metabolism. So let's just say you have a family member in a nursing home or uh, assisted living, or you have someone just hasn't been exercising, then give them the smoothie, the apple skin smoothie. Now, what would I put in there? Their favorite, always start by asking someone, what's your favorite taste? Oh, I like banana. I like grapes. I like oranges. Good. Pineapple. Put that in. Then use a rice milk or an almond milk. Then throw in a tablespoon of coconut oil, raw organic virgin. By the way, there is no difference between extra virgin and virgin. Don't pay extra for extra virgin. You're not getting anything as extra virgin. It's just virgin. There is nothing better. Um, Then throw in the flaxseed oil, tablespoon, handful of the nuts you like. Walnuts are considered the highest quality, but also macadamias are good. Put in your protein powder and your compounded powders your fruits, your vegetables, with the apple skin. Blend that, and you're good to go. You've got so much going on there. That's more nutrition in one smoothie than the average American consumes in two days with all that they eat, which is all crap, and we all know that. Increase your libido and treat cancer with cordyceps. This is some new research, and this was done at Beijing Medical University, and it showed that 64% of men and 90% of women who had previously suffered from impotency uh, benefited greatly from using this simple herb. It's a tonic. In China, it's used for aging and improved immune system and organ function. Just three grams of cordyceps, corda, C-O-R-D-Y, CEPS, C-E-P-S, 
helped overcome shortness of breath, significantly reduced fatigue, improved blood circulation, strengthened the cardiovascular system, regulated blood pressure, improved the quality of your sleep, lowered blood sugar levels, improved mental alertness, and fight infertility. And it also helped inhibit the division and growth of cancer cells. It's strongly anti-inflammatory. Well, cordycepsis is simple. It's it's a fungus, and uh, it's an excellent form of liver and kidney uh, cleanse as well. So, and it stimulated natural killer cells. So, easy to get, inexpensive, rich, rich, rich in healing nutrients, especially those needed to repair your DNA. And finally, a new study shows that we have an epidemic of allergy in children in the United States. In the current issue of pediatrics, a professor of pediatrics at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, uh, talked about how many children in the United States have allergies. And it's approaching 10%. That's astronomical. You're dealing with almost 6 million American children. And a lot of them have multiple food sensitivities. Quote, the large population-based nature of this study shows that pediatric food allergy is a significant and growing problem in our society. Based upon our data, one in every 13 children has a food allergy. What's more, nearly two out of every five affected children suffer from severe food allergy. For these children, accidental ingestion of allergic food may lead to difficulty in breathing, sharp drop in blood pressure, even death. Okay, this is a very important study. What's the takeaway message? There is no takeaway message from this study. That's what's ironic about so many of the things you read. They'll tell you there's a problem. They don't tell you the solution. Here's how I see the problem. There was a time when food allergy was almost non-existent in the United States. You just didn't have it. Yeah, you might have someone that would break out with a rash with strawberries or be around a cat or dog. Now, those were mainly because they had a fixed allergy, meaning it didn't matter how long they'd been away from that. The moment you expose them, they react. But then you have cyclic allergies, which means that you you can have something, and then in time, if you have too much of it, you can't. And so then you wean yourself off. What I did is I started using an, a program to stimulate the immune system. I did not use an anti-allergy program. I found that everyone else was doing it, and all I would get were people coming to me saying, Gary, I've been to 13, true story, woman, I've been to 13 doctors over the last four years, and out of 97 foods, I'm allergic to 94. I don't know what to eat anymore. I said, it's not the foods, it's your immune system. Reverse the way you look at it. Build up your immune system, detoxify your system, and that immediately gives your whole immune system a super boost. Then you'll find your body can handle things providing that they're organic. And I gave her an example. I said, I was with a bunch of friends. We went up one day just to go to the country, and we went up to Goshen. And there was a a little orchard probably 30, 40-acre orchard, but it's set on a hill. So you oversaw all of Goshen, the black dirt capital of America, where the soil's 30 foot deep, 
and that's where they grow most of the celery and onions in the United States. And I'm looking there, and I'm seeing this wonderful apple, but I knew what would happen if I ate it. Well, my, my throat would get a little raspy. My nose would uh, become inflamed. My eyes would become inflamed. And two or three hours later, it would be okay. I said, what the heck? I don't care. I just want one of those apples. So I grabbed an apple, and I ate it. Nothing happened. I thought, well, that's strange. Maybe it's the variety apple. So I walked to a different part of the apple, and I got a different apple, and I ate it. Nothing happened. I thought, this is terrific. I no longer have apple allergies. So the next day back in the city, I'm walking up the street, and I see a, an apple basket of apples at the store. I buy one. I wash it, eat it. Immediately, I had allergens. I thought, that's strange. So then on about a month later, I was back up there still now in the September when there's apple season, and they were making fresh apple cider. So I took a drink because I wanted to see how they made it. And uh, it was really neat the way they made it. Now, on my website, you'll see a picture of me making it because I looked at what they did, and I figured out there was a better way of doing it. And so I just did it a different way. What you normally do, you get what are called the downs. You get all the apples that are down on the ground. You take them into a barn. You put them into a big sink, and you wash them. Then you put them into a machine that grinds them up, much like a blender. Then you put those on slats that are three foot by three foot wood, and you fold, you put it up, and then you fold the cloth, like a muslin cloth, over it. And then you have like a tin-layered slats. Then with your foot on a hydraulic press, you press it down, and a steel plate comes down as you press it and squeezes each one of these that claps upon the other, that claps upon the other. And all this juice goes flowing out down in, in what looks like a cistern and comes out, and you feed it into a 55-gallon drum. Then your 55-gallon drum, you have a little nozzle, and you turn that little nozzle on, and you fill up your gallon jugs. In fact, Fairway, which was started by a friend of mine, Dave, and uh, some of his buddies, I used to supply him all of his fresh, organic apple cider. Couldn't keep it in stock. I want to see how many I could do it. In one day, I was able to do 400 gallons, just myself. But there, I wasn't alone because there were all these deer that would come in. Because when you finish the pulp, you throw it out because it becomes compost. Well, the deers love that stuff. So I'm always working around this whole family. There's any help this cider I couldn't drink either. I could drink all I wanted. Then I realized what the difference was. One had been sprayed. One had not. I wasn't allergic to apples. I was allergic to spray on apples. I was allergic to oranges. I was allergic to the dye on oranges. Because oranges are never orange. Lemons are never all lemon, uh, yellow. Uh, they're sprayed. Now, I didn't know at the time because I'd never grown an orange or lemon or lime. But the part of the fruit that's growing on the inside that doesn't get the sun, it doesn't get the same color. There's always spots and differences. Well, people don't want to buy something with spots on it. So they simply dye them. So it's the chemicals that we use that cause allergic responses, and that causes allergies. So when you give up on artificial coloring, artificial sweeteners, caffeine, colas, you detoxify, and then you re-stimulate the immune system naturally, rebuild it naturally, then the body is fully engaged. Then you're not going to be allergic to these things. And that's what this woman found. Within three months of detoxing, 
and juicing, liver flush, uh, colonic getting really clean, and having pure, wholesome, clean food, she had no allergies. So I said, now, go back over to these so-called holistic doctors that you spent, what did you say, $27,000? Go back and say, do you know why I'm allergic to nothing? I thought you told me I couldn't eat all this stuff. Well, now, I don't have a single allergy. And ask them, can they give you back the money? And say, can I get a refund? Of course, there was no refunds. <laughs> and by the way, these were all holistic doctors. Now, what causes kids to have such a defect in their immune system? Vaccines. The more vaccines you give a child, then the child develops an artificial immune response where frequently it's autoimmunity because they have never proven in a given child that a vaccine creates antibodies that are protective at a level that will prevent a disease. Instead, more often than not, these antibodies are nonspecific or they can create autoimmune response. And that's why so many kids have inner ear infections. And then they give them antibiotics. Now, when you give antibiotics to a child who has an inner ear infection, what happens is you destroy the good bacteria in their body and in their gut. As a result, they never develop a real immune system. Hence, their immunity is always compromised. And then you start feeding them the junk we feed them. And then they end up... Uh, immune suppressed and allergic reactions. Clean up the body, detoxify, and you can use homeopathic zeolites to undo the damage, much of the damage, especially if a child that has autism and uh, or vaccine injury. I'm Gary Nall. That's the latest on health and nutrition. I'll be back in a moment. And again, I don't see anything here. If you know what's coming at us, that I predict is coming at us within the next mm, 24 months that will dwarf anything in Ferguson. Call me and tell me what you think it is. 888-874-4888. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. to welcome all of you. I'm Gary Nall. Let's say hello to Brandon in Kentucky. Hi, Brandon. Yeah, how you doing, Dr. Nall? Doing Actually, good. Actually, Brent, how you doing? Good. My, my brother, he has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. In two weeks, we're going to go up to uh, New York to see Dr. Robbins, who doesn't treat cancer, by the way. Uh, and i just like to know, what protocol could I give him with vitamins so forth just to keep him going until we make that trip up there? Okay, well... Pancreatic cancer, as you know, is a very serious cancer, one of the two most serious cancers, one of the most too difficult to treat. What stage is he? He said it was stage four, but oh. he's up and going. He's lost a lot of weight, but he's still up and going. He hasn't been bedridden, still okay. moving. 
Well, I, I would approach the lifestyle modification first and foremost. First, keep him very positive. Um, I, I would show him some films uh, that are motivating. I would show him examples of people who've overcome pancreatic cancer. There's nothing to inspire people to a greater sense of will to live than knowing someone else out there has lived. And the approach I take is simple. I say, here are some doctors that you should speak with whose patients have survived stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Talk with them. And, and the moment they do, you always get this very upbeat, positive, hey, I didn't know this. Was po- My doctor said that you know, all they could do is an experimental drug. And, and gee whiz, there are holistic oncologists in the New York area. I would only see a holistic oncologist. I would not see any other doctor. I would certainly not do ozone therapy. It is not indicated. Instead, I would see a holistic oncologist who would do three things. One, they would include the Gonzales therapy with the, uh, with the Revisi therapy. Two, they would use the Gerson cleanse and detox with 13 to 16 glasses of organic juice a day, principally with lots of potassium and no sodium, because the more sodium you have, the worse it is for cancer. The more potassium you have, the better it is to survive cancer. Then I would uh, make sure you have a good liver liver cleanse. I would only eat, uh, 80% of my diet would be raw, and 20% would be lightly cooked. For example, you don't want to juice tomatoes. You want to have tomato sauce. But it should be cooking where the food is still living food and hence has been enhancedly enhanced by enzymes. That's why lycopene is actually liberated and becomes more bioavailable when it's lightly heated versus when it's raw. There are a lot of people who think they know what they th- uh, know who don't know what they don't know. And those are raw foodists. It's embarrassing because so much of this comes out of, comes out of the West Coast. And we know how people on the West Coast can be so exaggerated in the claims they make. And so lacking in the science. But there's so little critical thought. And I, I've, look, I met, I met one of the biggest opportunists in the United States promoting raw everything. But when I sat down one-on-one and had a conversation with this person, I was appalled by what he did not know about nutrition. And that he's out there advocating as if he has that knowledge. So you have to know there's a time when you want certain healing nutrients that can only be liberated by light heat, such as broccoli. Broccoli is liberated. The, the isothiocyanates and the indole-3-carbonyl are actually higher bioavailability when you lightly heat it. Otherwise, the ligocellulose, the high fiber, takes it right through your gut. You don't get, you don't get it. All right? It would be like chewing a piece of gum that you didn't take the wrapper off. So anyhow, but he's from California, and that alone, we have to give him a 75% excuse. <laughs> Jeez, man, they're dumb. <laughs> so <laughs> they are, really. Uh, I get off a plane out there, my IQ drops 34%. That's why i got to get back to New York. Any suggestions for somebody to see up there in New York? <laughs> yes. 
but I don't want to go over the air about that. But if if you if you hang on, our engineer will give you some. I'll give you some phone numbers of medical doctors who are oncologists, who don't have ego problems, who will include holistic protocols. Then there are certain nutrients that we know the body benefits from, but not at the amount in any of the books. Curcuminoids, uh, green tea, all right, grapeseed extract, resveratrol. Quercetin, intravenous therapy, which is absolutely essential, and uh, aquial nutrients, glutathione push on the liver, and um, and then zeolites also, uh, vitamin D at a higher dose. Again, I'm not going to give you the doses. I don't want anyone thinking that it would might help them. This has to be directed and supervised, and then you'll see how some other people benefited. But you should also hold the same standards to all physicians. The first thing you ask any physician or nurse practitioner or homeopath, before you counsel with them, before you give them your money, say, would you be able to give me three, four, five people that you've helped with the same condition who are alive and well today? If they don't have anyone to give you, why should you assume that you're going to be the lucky one that they're going to help? More often than not, they're experimenting. And in orthodoxy, they fail and everybody dies when it comes to pancreatic cancer. They have zero success at five years. So if, uh, if uh, someone's promoting something, let them put you in touch with the people. If I say I've helped people with advanced Alzheimer's, they speak directly to uh, Marie McGovern. And she talks, she's talked with, I guess, two or 3,000 people by now. And she's very kind-hearted soul. But she's an example. If I say that you can be helped with uh, uh, with, with uh, autism, total reversal, put you in touch with the Ortegas. You can speak with them. You know. But you can't talk about something and say you're helping and have no proof of it. So hold those standards to the orthodoxy. If, if you held those standards, Sloan Kettering would be a very empty place including its morgue, which is the second largest morgue in America. Okay, hope that gets you started. All the best. All the best to you. In studio in New York City, Luann Panessi. Hi, Luann. Hello, Gary. Um, I have some emails here. (laughs) One of them is um, a woman who says that her mother is in her 90s, and she's been listening to you for over 40 years Amazingly, not amazingly, obviously, she doesn't have one physical ailment. And she used to live in Nanking. And we had a very in-depth discussion about history repeating itself in Gaza. And then she thought, maybe Gary could discuss Nanking. Do you see any similarities? That is her question for you. Okay. I got a question for you. Oh, no. I'm sure you're going to nail this. Oh, if it includes math, I'm not doing it. You no, know math, no math, no oh, math. Oh, oh, okay. You're, for, you're a constitutionalist. You believe in the Constitution, <laughs> Bill of Rights, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is a trick. Go ahead. It's not a trick. It's a trick. I know it is. No. We think of the founding fathers, some of who were racist. Of course, they owned slaves. Some were very bright and were racist. Now, that's not an oxymoron. It's part of the unfortunate nature of some of the people at that time, they believed that all men are created equal, right? Wasn't that written? Yes. Okay. And they owned slaves. Well, they also didn't allow Native Americans to vote right. or own land. 
women to own land right. or to vote. And if you were poor, uh, you had no rights. So all men are created equal if you're a wealthy landowner. Who was the wealthiest president at that time, or in that whole era? Who was the wealthiest American? Who? George Washington. I knew that. Okay, good. How old was he when he signed the Declaration of Independence? (laughs) He was one of the older ones. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm thinking he's in his late 60s. Okay, close. How about uh, James Monroe? (laughs) James Monroe. What? How old? I don't know. How about James Madison? Not a clue. All right, Thomas Jefferson. How about this? James Monroe was 18 years old. All right. And James Madison, that's young, was 25. Thomas Jefferson was 33. John Adams was 40. Paul Revere, 41. George Washington was 44. Damn, he looked like he was 70. <laughs> yeah. They were all they were all actually young. Um, very bright people, you know, very learned people. Wait, he was 44 and he had wooden teeth? That was later. Oh. But also remember, you know how he died. He died from a simple infection. Simple infection. But the founder of psychiatry in America, Benjamin Rush, who also signed the Declaration of Independence, and whose head still adorns today the American Psychiatric Association's emblem, he bled him to death. I hate when that happens. He took almost seven pints of blood out of him. They wanted to get rid of the bad humors, the the bad blood. Yeah. They bled a lot of people to death back then. So, anyhow. Now, to answer your question. Okay, this is an older woman. She's 90. She was born in Nanking or lived in Nanking. Mm -hmm. And she's still alive today? Yes. Okay, good. Well, that's good. And her daughter's asking the question comparing Nanking to Gaza. Yes. I would not say that's a, a good comparison. It, it, in some respects, it, it, there's a slight match. Far more appropriate would be apartheid South Africa. Because if you go to South Africa, you will see that the wealthiest of the people, the industrialists, live at the on the high end of the mountain range, most beautiful views. Then you have your mercantile class, your business people. Then you have your professional class, doctors, lawyers, engineers, architects. Then you have your a permanent bureaucracy, police, school teachers, firefighters. By the way, you don't have age-defining illnesses as any statistic in any of those people. Then you have these big, long fields. Sometimes they're just the trailing fields for the mines. And then you have the ghetto. Well, at that point, it was probably the largest ghetto in Africa, uh, where over a million people, one time as more than two million people lived. You did not have running water frequently. You had no sanitation. You didn't even have screens in windows. These people were permanently indentured. They had no chance of getting out of that. They also had no rights. They were the ones that agitated. They were the ones that demonstrated. The wealthy did not. And any of the leaders that came forward were arrested, including uh, Nelson Mandela. And it was from, um, keep in mind, the State Department had Nelson Mandela as a terrorist. In fact, all of the leadership of the National African Congress were listed as terrorists. Uh, he fought. 
And it was only by him and the others fighting that they were able to challenge apartheid. Now, at that time, the United States had pension funds invested in corporations in apartheid. And that's always one of the things that's really bothered me is that teachers' unions, police unions, uh, all these different unions, and rightly so, they want to make sure that when they retire, the money that they put aside frequently every paycheck is there for them. But what is not done is they don't look at where is that money invested. Hedge funds have been the primary people controlling them. They come along and they say, we're going to invest it in these different areas and give you a return. The hedge funds take a monster commission out. It's huge. Um, And then the owners of the hedge fund will take 2% of the total for themselves, frequently 20% of the profits. So of all the hedge funds, they make more money than anyone else. But they don't lose because even if the hedge fund doesn't do well, they'll charge you a transaction fee for managing it. It's like a stockbroker. Every time you buy and sell a stock, the broker makes a commission. And even if you lose money on the stock, they don't. Well, the hedge funds made billions of dollars, billions, and made each of these people multi-billionaires. In fact, they made so much money that they had more money than the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, Andrew Carnegie, and Mellon combined. That's how much money they made, all right? Because they were making money off money. The historic uh, robber barons made it off single industries, uh, Vanderbilts, you know, and shipping, and their great railroads, and uh, the largest check ever given up at that point was Andrew Carnegie for his U.S. Steel, and Frisk uh, made it in um, silver and mining. But it took them a long time to make it. But they were, you know, they were undisputed wealth barons. But today, one hedge fund maker can make more money than Rockefellers made ever. All right, in one year. So you have to look at you have to look at how money is made today. So what has happened is a lot of hedge funds made their money by investing in companies that made bad products, including armaments. Armaments are always a go-to business if you want to make profits, including personnel mines, the ones that blow up people. And we're the only ones who've never signed an international treaty banning them because we make them. But also Israel sold a lot of the technology to show how to suppress dissent. Isn't that ironic? That you you show people and train them how to keep your citizens from getting any power. And how do you target them? And now virtually every activist in the world is targeted. The average American has over 1,600 pieces of information taken about their lives from the Internet and then sold to governments or other people. And the government actually catalogs this also. Everything you read, every movie you watch on the Internet, everything you buy, everything you buy from your credit card, everything that has an electronic imprint is cataloged. Now, back then, they didn't have that. So what they did, they looked at anyone wanting social equality. And it was the poor blacks working in the diamond mines and in the gold mines. They had no rights. They had no unions. 
and they were also used in medical experimentation. One of the worst medical experimentations in the world was in the South African psychiatric ward. You'd be put in there and frequently uh, lobotomized, given drugs, die, and you had no rights. That's what I would compare. Now, the idea of Nanking was different. First, Nanking tells us several things. It tells us the problem when an entire nation, Japan, felt that the best way to help itself with its future was to completely conquer a much larger nation with unlimited resources, China. At that time, China had not exploited its resources. It was probably the most uh, resource-rich country in the world that was underutilized. Japan is a very small island. It has a very large population, and it has to get most of its product outside and bring it in. So they invaded. They invaded, uh, first it was Shanghai, which was a major in, uh, trading and financial capital. And that was back in 1937. I believe it was in, it was an early part. I think it was in August. And then once they defeated Shanghai, it was a very, it's a very short trip from Shanghai to Nanking. And Nanking was the ch capital of China at that time. And, uh, it had a thriving population. It had a lot of industry. It was one of the more evolved cities in all of China because it was his capital. And uh, suddenly in comes this abandoned of arms army. They had been defeated, and they were just you know, going as far away as they could. But they didn't have an air force, and as a result, the Japanese air force uh, was hitting all their points ahead of them and they box them in the Nanking. Now, Nanking is almost one of these old fortress cities. That if you go, the huge walls, huge thick walls, which was good in the 14th century, not in 1937. And so, when the troops came and said that they were beheading people, they were, they were used, they were sharpening their bayonets by stabbing people in the chest by the thousands. So all these stories of what the Japanese were doing. And so a small group of people created a safety zone. And one was an American missionary. Another was a, um, a nun. Uh, not a nun. She, she was also a missionary. And there was a German. And he was, uh, he was the top German representative, John Raby. Uh, he, he, no, he, he was a businessman. And... Um, and then you have a famous one called uh, Valtrin, and she she was a very determined person, and she ran a school, and so they 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 made a two square mile area, and they told the advancing Japanese this is a safety zone you can't come in here. Now because there were Germans there, remember Germany was Japan's ally, and there were Americans there, and America. Do you know America was still doing business with Japan in 1937? Hmm. Until they bombed us, we had corporations doing business. We also had General Motors doing business with the Nazis. So what they did is they made swastikas and put swastikas on top of cars, and they put the American flag on top of trucks around the perimeter so that no bombs would fall inside. And, and indeed, it worked. 
but hundreds of thousands of people crowded into two square miles. In fact, all the soldiers began to uh, take off their uniforms because they were surrounded. They had no place to go. And they were going house to house, house to house, and killing everyone. Everyone. Every single member of a family was killed. So the soldiers hid their weapons, threw them away, got in civilian clothes, and hid there. So the Chinese or Japanese went in, and they didn't kill them inside. They, they said, do you have a family? And this was very clever of them. If you had a family, you were saved. If you didn't have a family, they assumed you were in the army. And they took you out. And then in one of the most horrific massacres in, in history, they tied them up, tied their two hands together, and then tied a whole chain. So they'll have like 100 guys in a row, and they would have 20, 30 rows. And there were over 20,000. They took them out in one evening, took them into by the river, and just machine gunned them all. Then they went behind that and stabbed them. Kind of mind, reminds you of um, Islamic um, yes. jihadists. Some of the people escaped. Some fake being shot and hid under other bodies and got into the river. And the one of the Americans hid a camera and filmed it. And it was just amazing because here's the Japanese saying, we give you a choice. Do you want to die by machine gun, by being burned, or by being bayoneted? And you hear one of these people saying, what does it matter? And so they just machine gun them, and then they bayoneted him. Then they burned them. And uh, then they raped 20,000 Chinese women and then killed them. And the means that the Japanese did is they first rape them, then they stick a bayonet in their belly and turn it around till they died. Then um, the people who fought on behalf of these people, these four unique people, all of whom became heroes in Japan. They're, they're legends in Japan because they sacrificed their life. And the, the Japanese were afraid to do anything to them because one was a American, one was a, a Japanese, there was also a, a Dane there. Um, at the end of that period of time, the Japanese would yell. We hear them yelling, bonsai? No, not true. They yelled, kill all, burn all, loot all. That's what they kept yelling. And they ended up uh, killing 20,000 in one night of the ja Chinese. That's one of the largest mass murders in history. They also uh, killed 20,000 women in one month after raping them. And then they, uh, they even raped young boys. And altogether, 200,000 civilians were killed. And, uh, and that was in six weeks. Just one of the, that's even more people that were killed than in, were killed in Rwanda in that same six weeks. Rwanda was three months, 900,000. But imagine the number. And these people had no water, no electricity, no food. And uh, one of the most horrific incidents in history the ones who survived, survived because of four people who stood constantly between the Japanese and the, the civilians. 
just heroic. We should do a movie on these people. We we should acknowledge them. Ask the average American, do you do you know this? Um, uh, do you know um, Bob Wilson, the, the medical doctor? He was the only doctor in a gigantic hospital, and the Japanese wanted to see if there were any Chinese doctors hiding. So the medical staff would have to hide on the third floor of the hospital, and Wilson would, who was the only surgeon. And he had to work all day, every day, because it was constant. And he had he didn't have the medicines. Imagine that. So that is not comparable to Gaza in the sense that the Gazans been living in this apartheid outdoor prison, the largest in the world, uh, for a long period of time. But now their infrastructure is being destroyed. I mean, it's just all the buildings, all the homes. And... Uh, so I would compare what's happening now in Gaza to apartheid in South Africa. Nanking is just one, one very important statement that the same mindset that existed then is still present in those in power today because they hid all the information about Fukushima. Women do not have power in Japan today. They're still treated as objects. And uh, now they want to remilitarize. So before we say, isn't that a good idea, remember what they did. And it wasn't a few people who were involved. I'm looking at the clock. We're out of time. Hope that answers the question. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a family hour? No. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Well, ask me a question. I'm going to answer it. Appreciate it. See, I just think that too often, if we do not understand history, then then we're going to make the mistake of repeating it. And also, when it came, I was mentioning some of the things when Bill O'Reilly and Fox was defending the police, and I gave the statistics of how many people are killed. Do you know that there hasn't been a death by police in Iceland in their entire history from the 1940s? And I took a look at 10 foreign countries, and you have anywhere from zero to the most was five deaths last year by police. Here we had 400. That did not include deaths from tasering. That's another large statistic that we don't take into account. And also, why don't we look at how many people are the police arresting for misdemeanors and brutalizing? And many states, mostly through county courts, are doing debtors' prisons now. 27 states in the United States have debtors' prisons, and there's been a backlash and some successes in stopping these at the county level because it is through counties and local enforcement agencies there are no national figures for people in debtor prison. The worst place to go to jail if you're poor, Georgia, then Ohio and Pennsylvania. In the past two years, Georgia has jailed 3,500 unrepresented parents for child support debt. Now, mind you, these are good parents. They just are unemployed or they don't have enough money. And so frequently SWAT teams are sent to arrest them. And many of these parents are held for months, even over a year, and they have no money. And yet they're charged every single day. Uh, One county sheriff charges inmates $18 a day. And if you don't have a dollar and you're not making any money, how can you get out of jail to pay the fine? And they frequently won't let you out of jail until you can pay the fine. So let's just get this straight. You have no money, so you're put in jail. In jail, you're charged for being in jail. Then when they're told it's a compounding debt with interest, you can stay in jail and never get out. 
And if you do, you'll never pay off the debt, in which case your probation officer, who is a private industry probation officer, and private constables or police that work for the private system can arrest you and put you back in again. And this is going on and not a single thing is talking about it. So we have too many poor people who cannot pay the fees upon their release. Let me just give you one example of how stupid the people in North Carolina, uh, the, the, the Mecklenburg Clinic, uh, County are. They collected $33,476 in debts in 2009. They spent $40,000 jailing 246 debtors. Hence, the county lost money by putting people who had no money. Mind you, they committed no crimes. There was no crime except they couldn't pay their bills. In a Colorado County jail, they racked up $70,000 in costs for incarcerating 154 people over a five-month period. They only collected 40000 so they lost money. And again, what crime? No crimes. They were simply poor people. And in fact, people who have been jailed have been jailed for as little as a $40 late bill. You owe a bill $40, they can arrest you. And they're using SWAT teams to arrest you. That means the SWAT team will go up, uh, kick in your door, throw in a flash grenade, go in and arrest you, arms fully drawn, hoping you blink so they can shoot you, and then they take you to jail because you hadn't paid a student loan in a timely manner. True story. In fact, a report came out that predicted that the industry for jailing people for debt was expected to grow 26%. And one of the largest... uh, Encore Capital Group is the largest trading company that buys debt. And in one year, they filed 425,000 lawsuits against borrowers. So they'll frequently pay $1, $1 on $100 debt. They have a 1% interest. And then if you don't pay the debt, they can harass you. And in 27 states, they can arrest you. So this is going on. Thank you all for listening. Look forward to sharing more tomorrow.